But at the same time, we're going to spend our time flipping through just one specific book. And I want you to go to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs chapter 1. And the fascinating thing about the book of Proverbs is that it's, it's, it's just, the name of this message is called Precious Gems from Proverbs. I would love to go through the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters long, all kinds of Proverbs. Uh, that would be a several year book though, uh, the way I, but at the same time, because I love to look at the trees within the forest and there's so many different trees in this forest. So rather than doing that right now, maybe Lord, sometimes in the future, the Lord will lead us and hopefully it will be a shorter study. It will just be a year long or something like that, uh, Lord willing. But we want to look at precious gems. I want to look at some of the trees within the forest, but I want to look at the forest and pick out some choice gems. And I, I, I sought this out spiritually or, you know, prayerfully because I thought would, what would be the, maybe the best balance. And you know what? You're always going to leave meat on the bone because there are so many Proverbs and so many of them are our favorites that we refer to, that we speak to, that guide our lives and so forth that we, we allow the Lord to use in our lives. So uh, I found myself kind of chopping off, you know, as far as the study goes, uh, certain Proverbs that were in my study to share. I'm working on a message on parenting right now. So some of those that have to do with child training and parenting, which there's quite a few in the book of Proverbs about that, uh, aren't really going to find themselves in that message because they'll be used in a forthcoming message. By the way, I did a series years ago called The Principles of Parenting. And I encourage you that are newer parents or maybe even parents for some time, or any of you that are parents and haven't heard that series, it's hardcore in the scripture on all these different subjects that have to do with parenting. I would encourage you to check that whole series out, although I'll be doing a message on parenting pretty soon coming up. Uh, but this is kind of a look at the forest. I mean, we'll start in chapter 1, and we'll probably, you know, end in, you know, chapter 30 or 31. Uh, it has 31 chapters long, but we won't. Uh, in fact, the Proverbs 31 woman actually got cut out of my study because I had some stuff I wanted to share about her. I'm like, Lord, I've got to end this somewhere, you know. Uh, and I've taught on the Proverbs 31 women, uh, woman uh, more than once. So I thought, you know what? Uh, that has to do almost, you know, with, well, all this is going to be relevant to everybody, I believe, to one degree or another. But we're looking at these keys to your life and keys to living a wise life. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to have, at the end of your life, be thought of as uh, and known to have been someone who impacted the world because you lived by God's wisdom? We're not talking about worldly wisdom. The Bible talks about the wisdom that comes, that is uh, from beneath, is devilish, and it's self-centered. We learn that in the book of James. Uh, we learn that in 1 Corinthians, the first few chapters. But the wisdom that comes from above is peaceable, it's gentle, it's good, it's, it's from God. And every, every pure, every righteous, every perfect gift comes from the Father above, amen? He gives us wisdom. And the greatest display of that wisdom is in his word and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. So we have the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, which is all about how to live your life skillfully. To live your life in such a way where you make choices, uh, where you serve God, where you're blessing the others, and where you, in fact, you are in fact blessed because you're in the Lord's will. Amen? And most of the world and much of the church does not live according to God's word. Most of the professing church, they aren't making decisions often that that are in harmony with God's word and the wisdom he calls us to. And therefore, you, that's why you see so many people failing, so many people falling on their faces, so many people, uh, so many families being destroyed, you know, even churches being destroyed because they're not building themselves on the foundation of God's word. And the Proverbs are divinely directed. 
uh, by the Holy Spirit through King Solomon when he was walking with the Lord. Uh, and Solomon's a very good example of how you can't just have knowledge, how you have to have wisdom and apply it to your lives. Amen. And he was granted wisdom, but because he given, was given wisdom doesn't mean that he's irresistibly going to use that wisdom. Amen. He fell big time. I do believe he came back to the Lord. There's disputes on that, and it's theologically a controversial issue whether he came back to the Lord or not. Because uh, when you read the end, end of Kings and so forth, you might seem like, well, did he? You know? Uh, but uh, uh, when you read uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, that seems to be a book that he wrote after he'd come back from a backslidden state and reapplied wisdom to his life. So in Proverbs chapter 1, and I am going to read the first initial verses because they're kind of the introduction to Proverbs. Like I said, we're only going to spend one time. My temptation also was also maybe do two or three times in the book of Proverbs and just slowly go through some of these gems. But I wanted to cover them in one week because I have other things I want to get to on our Wednesday night studies. But in Proverbs 1, 1 through 6, it says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Pretty much clearly tells you who wrote it. I'm glad it just didn't say Solomon or even Solomon, son of David, even because liberal scholars and or so-called scholars would come up with all kinds of ideas of who really wrote this. But it tells us it's the, written by Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Uh, we know who it is. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to, deceive and, uh, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive. To you, uh, now, this is important. What, why is this book written? To give prudence to the naive, the simple. To the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. You know, it's amazing because this is foundational truth. This is truth I encourage you. I hope if you have children, you're teaching them proverbs. At least choice choose from Proverbs that will apply to their lives. I know when uh, my daughters, I, I got them books uh, on just commentaries on uh, Proverbs. I know I did that for Heather right after she had Russell. I don't know if I gave you one at the same time or not, Holly. Uh, but I gave one to, uh, uh, because they had a brand new child, you know. And Holly had been parenting for a little while. I gave them a, a commentary on Proverbs. And just bringing up children according to the book of Proverbs. And you don't need a commentary. You just need God's word. But it's important that we recognize this is for, now, I don't have time to explicate this, but there's different words used in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Proverbs, for different gradations of fools. And they start out as basically, and I'll just say this much, basically as naive, you know? You got to fill them with God's truth in his word, right? Because they grow into fools who basically just, you know, contradict God's word if they're not taught God's word. They won't live it. Then when they're taught it, another gradation of fools is to uh, basically not live it out, to contradict his word. And then there's other gradations of, of the mockers, fools, word, a word that's used of those who just mock God and his word. And they're the ones that are in the severest of trouble. Uh, and there's these different gradations, more than three gradations. And we want to make sure we're not any of those fools. Amen? But the way your child does not grow up to be a fool, and our children will grow up to be fools if we don't instruct them in the word of God. Amen? Because we need to be made wise by God's word. Is uh, through his word, and the book of Proverbs is milk for the most part. I'm not saying there's no meat in it, but it, notice it's a lot of bite-sized, memorable truths. Did you notice that, right? God's given us his word in many, many ways. 
There's a lot of parallelism in Proverbs. There's a lot of parallelism in the Psalms. And a lot of that parallelism is so it's memorable. And the same truth can be stated in a little bit different way just so it sticks in our heart, so it sticks in our mind. The Lord intends us to memorize certain Proverbs, to meditate on them so we can live skillful lives and our lives aren't destroyed. And the first choice gem I want to look at is verse 7 because it's the foundational truth. It says, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge. Fools what? Despise wisdom and instruction. So he's telling us that the beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's not just knowledge, but it's instruction that brings knowledge and wisdom. And notice the fool or the uh, wise person is, is contrasted with the fool. The fool just rejects God's word. I was, I was a walking fool before I was a Christian. You know, like so many young people, I grew up and I didn't know the word of God and I was blind and I just thought it was a fairy tale and I got in all kinds of trouble before I got saved. I didn't know God's knowledge. I didn't have his wisdom. I knew his moral law was written in my heart when I was young. I, I sensed that there was right and wrong. But as I got older, my heart got hardened through my teen years. I wanted to do my own thing and I rejected uh, his wisdom and his knowledge. And I was a fool. And my life was headed toward destruction. But by his grace, he woke me up. And by his grace, somehow he got a hold of you as well. Amen? And now we're to grow in the knowledge of God's word. And we're to grow in the knowledge of the truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't fear the Lord, you don't even you don't have a start with God's knowledge. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, meaning you need to know how to relate to your creator. If you don't fear him, you really don't know who he is. Because you see, even in the New Testament, it tells us if you turn away from God, it says it's a terrible thing to follow into the hands of the living God. And it says that we're to serve him acceptably with fear and awe. And it says, for our God is a consuming fire. So our serving him and fearing him is related to his nature that he is a consuming fire. I mean, the Bible says that God alone and God alone dwells immortality and that nobody can approach him and live in our humanity we can't even go into God's presence and live but praise God by his grace the pure those who are pure right through the blood of Christ and have been sanctified they shall see God we one day will be ushered into his presence in new bodies that are imperishable immortal amen and incorruptible and we'll be able to be in his presence and God will be with men and men with God but right now in our fallen human state remember even Moses who was the humblest guy on earth, had to be put behind a rock. And God only let him see his afterglow, lest he be torched. And in Deuteronomy, we learn, uh, we learn when we read about Moses, that God revealed himself there initially as a consuming fire. Who shall dwell in, in everlasting burnings? It's not talking about the lake of fire there. It's about God's presence, if you read that in Isaiah. It talks about those that can ascend to his holy hill are those who have clean hands. We can only be clean hands through the precious blood of Christ. Amen. And today, most Christians don't understand. And I love 1 John 4.8. I love 1 John 4.16, where we're told about the very nature of God. God is love. Amen. And we preach against theologies that deny that God is love or that deny that he's impartial, that he doesn't show partiality, that wills that all would be saved. We, we, we totally uh, put exclamation points at the end of those verses. God is love. Amen. Amen. But he is also consuming fire. And we want to have the biblical balance that, that God is love, but God is also to be feared because he's holy, holy, 
holy, Lord God Almighty, amen? So you must, and I encourage you as I take you through this, because this is kind of like the parenting message I'll be giving later. This is, you might just call this part one of a parenting because these are things you should be teaching your children, amen, if you have children. But if you don't have children, well, guess what? God has children, and you're one of them if you're trusting Jesus, amen? This is for all the children, amen? It's for me, it's for you, it's for all of us. And we need to fear the Lord, and that's where it all begins. So you need to share with your children the very nature of God. That he's radical. That that sun that we see is just one little flicker of a light in this vast universe that we live in. And the heaven of heavens and this entire universe cannot even contain God's presence. Think about that. I mean, that means you are holy and to be feared because this is just an expression of your creation. And the known universe is just so beyond us, which we don't have time to get into. But it's mind-boggling. And you've studied the size of the universe. Just our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. So if you travel 100,000... 186,000 miles or so, they argue about how fast, or I shouldn't say they argue about it, but miles per second, you know, the old standard of, the, of light speed. If you could travel that speed, you'd be traveling that speed for 100,000 years at that speed before you cross the, 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 our just one galaxy. And God says the heavens, the earth can't contain him, the heaven and heavens can't contain him. And he's to be feared. He's a radical God. But that same God is love, amen? So you teach your children to fear the Lord, to love the Lord, to fear him because he's holy, 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 God Almighty, to love him because he is love, right? And he's other-orientated. He gave himself to us, amen? He's a good God. Now, uh, when we look at the fear of the Lord, and I'm going to get through some of these gems, but I want to spend a few minutes on the fear of the Lord at least because uh, this verse is foundational, it says. It's beginning of knowledge. And the Bible says, if the foundations are gone, how shall the righteous stand? Amen. And Jesus talked about building our lives on his words. You'll be wise, right? Like the man, we're talking about wisdom, right? If you build on his word, uh, in his words, you'll be building on the rock. And when the storms come, it won't be like the foolish man who builds on the sand, whose house is destroyed later. Amen. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. It's not just an Old Testament teaching. Amen? Philippians 2.12, Paul says, Work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? But he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I think that's important. You see, fear and trembling. And it's very common. It's very common if you look at commentaries, if you look at Bible helps online and stuff, and it talks about, the, it mentions the fear of the Lord. Oftentimes, it's reduced and, and shrunk to just having reverence for God. Just having a, a reverence for Him. Fear and trembling, <laughs> I think, means a lot more than reverence, although definitely reverence is part of it. We should be revering Him, amen? amen. But we also should have a, whole, a holy fear and understand, especially when you read Proverbs, and you look at Jesus' teaching, that there are radical repercussions to apostasy, to not following the Lord, to not being serious about him. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, don't fear man who can destroy your body, but can't harm the soul, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's more than just reverence. That's fearing that he could cast you into hell. He's telling us to his elect apostles. Or in Romans chapter 11, 20 through 22, to the Gentile believers who are saying, yeah, praise God, we've been grafted into the olive tree, you know? Oh, those Jews, man, we've replaced them. Ooh, don't say that. He said, don't be high-minded, but fear. Don't be high-minded, 
Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, as Paul will say later in Romans 12. He says, in the very next chapter, he says, don't be high-minded in your estimation of who you are, because it's God's doing. You stand by grace. Amen. He says, consider therefore the goodness, the love of God, and the severity, the fear of God. He says it right there too, right? Consider the goodness and severity of God. You too shall continue in his kindness. Otherwise, if you don't, you know, because he says you stand by faith, right? Otherwise, you shall be cut off. So there's repercussions. We it says fear. We're supposed to fear the consequences of a life of rebellion against God. Amen? Amen. So that's critical, important, critically important that we understand the fear of the Lord is more than it's... And I'm talking about those who will teach the fear of God. And, and they mean well, but they'll often reduce it to just mere reverence. But it's a very, very serious issue. Amen? Amen. Now, uh, I love, this is one of my favorite scriptures on the fear of God. I love it. I think it's just beautiful. And it's Proverbs 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Wow. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And that brings to mind a lot of uh, the uh, uh, letters to the churches where he'll give you the hidden manna. He'll give you a name that no one knows but he himself is like, wow. Now it says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. I love that. What about the aborigine? What about the guy in this jungle? What about the person in the Amazon? What the person who's never heard? What about him? The Bible covers him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If they truly fear the Lord, he'll give them knowledge. He'll give them wisdom. Sometimes it says knowledge, sometimes it says wisdom. It's both. It says it a couple times in Proverbs, it says it in the book of Job. And if people truly fear the one who created them, and they're without excuse if they don't, because Romans chapter 1 says people are without excuse if they see the witness of, if they see his creation, and they're unthankful. But those like Cornelius, who feared the Lord, right? Did he know Jesus? No. But he feared the Lord. He was a Gentile, and guess what the Lord did? We don't have time to get into it, but he spoke to him supernaturally. We see angels and visions. He spoke to Peter and brought Peter and him together, and he heard the gospel. John 7, 17, he who wills to do the will of the Father will know the doctrine. In the context, there's a doctrine of who Jesus is. And I praise God because the Bible does indeed teach the principle that if you respond to the light that God's given, the little bit of light he gives you at first, he'll give you more light. But if you close your heart against that light, you're in huge danger because then your heart will become hardened. And in Romans 1, it talks about how they be, were given over to depraved minds. So it's important that we fear the Lord. And I love the subject of fear the Lord in so many ways because it talks about our own walks. It, it's a good apologetic uh, to witness to those who are like, what about those who haven't heard? Oh, really? Well, praise God. I'm glad you asked. God's not going to let, if Jesus died, tasted death for everyone, he's not going to let people, uh, you know, uh, get away who would truly follow him and put their trust in him if they'd know. Amen? So uh, the question is, is do you truly want to follow the Lord and seek him? If you seek him with all your heart, it says he'll make himself known to you. Amen? Proverbs, uh, number two, go to Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the, well, you know what? Pfft. I got to go one more. Because you know what my first one is? If, if, if you were writing these down, it's choose the fear of the Lord. Choose the fear of the Lord. And now go to Proverbs 1. And I want to say just a little bit more on that. Verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? 
and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Verse 23, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. Isn't that interesting? Here's wisdom crying in the streets to these different types of fools, and he's saying his, he, he, he's pour out a spirit on them. If they just turn, amen? amen. It kind of backs up what I've been saying here. But look at what happens. It talks about how they run with the wicked to shed blood and so forth. Sounds like gang warfare almost, right? Then we read in verse 24, because I called you, what? You refused. I stretched out my hand and what? No one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and you did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose what? They did not choose the fear of the Lord. We have to make a choice to choose the fear of the Lord. We are not automatons. We are not puppets. We're not predetermined like robots. We're, we have to make a choice. You have to choose the fear of the Lord. If you don't choose the fear of the Lord, you will be without the knowledge of spiritual truth and wisdom, and God's wrath will come upon you. And if you're given over to a hardened heart because you hate God's word, you hate his knowledge, and you become a scoffer, a mocker, your heart will become so hard that you're defying God, using trash talk, and he says he'll laugh at you. That's, that's heavy. That's heavy. So number two, well, I just need to start going through these gems because I hit one gem and I got to start going through these quick. So pardon me for going kind of fast, but uh, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. This is one of my favorite Proverbs, just like 1, 7. I've used a lot of my favorites, but uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths what? Straight. I love that. I love that. Don't lean on your own understanding, right? What are you supposed to do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. There's an old saying, if you want to make God laugh, what? Tell him your what? Tell him your plans. Well, what happened in Proverbs 1? They had their own plans, and what was God doing? He was laughing at them. Amen. You also see that in Psalm chapter 2, where the kings of the earth, you know, they say, let's throw these fetters off and, and reject the Lord. You know, let's join together against him. And it says the Lord will laugh and hold them in derision, you know. It says, kiss the sun lest you perish. Proskuneo in the Greek Septuagint, bow down before the sun, right? Or you'll perish, you know? You know there, but you know what? It's interesting. There's a progression. With those who rebel against the Lord, firstly, his spirit is grieved. Then when you look at Jesus in Luke 19, when his own people rejected him, in Luke 19, it says he wept over Jerusalem. He wept. And in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who slays the prophets and kills those who are sent to her, how often I would have gathered together your children as a hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling, right? He goes on to say, your house will be left to you desolate. So first he's grieved. And Jesus goes to the point of tears, God in the flesh. And as people continue to defy themselves, okay, they've ultimately chosen to reject him. He's still sovereign, amen? And then now he's going to judge. And he's going to have the last word because he's sovereign. And I encourage you 
to choose the fear of the Lord, I encourage you not to walk in your own ways, but to seek the ways of the Lord. You know, in James chapter 1, the first verse 5 and so forth, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him what? Seek the Lord, ask of God, amen, who gives to each person liberally. He wants to bless us. Just do it without doubting. Don't be like the waves of the sea where you say, well, what, what do you mean without doubting? Well, he talks about the double-minded man there who, who wants to follow the Lord but doesn't want to follow the Lord. Ah, oh, do I want to do God's way or do I want to do it my way? Don't be like that. You won't receive it says anything from the Lord there. Put him first, right? Seek him with your whole heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll make your path straight, amen? And in James 4, he says, if you're thinking of moving, don't just say, oh, I'm going to move because business looks good over there. That's in uh, James chapter 4. He says, the person should say, Lord, if it's your will, I'll do that. Should be with a sense of fear of God, making sure it's decisions that glorify God and seeking his face. Not seeking to say, hey, I'm going to do my own will and just the Lord's going to bless it because it's about me. No, you want to say, Lord, your will be done, amen? Not my will, but thine be done. So we want to seek the Lord. Number three, Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The springs of life flow from our hearts. Amen? He's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about, when he talks about the heart, you could, you could have a great physical heart, but have a wicked spiritual heart. Or vice versa. Amen? Okay, but he's talking about the very core of who you are. The decision center that is the very core of your being as to who you choose to be, who you choose to obey, what decisions you make. Your heart and your mind are the spiritual centers of your life, and we need to guard our hearts. But think about the physical heart, too, because that's the center of our physical being. And you can let your guard down physically just like you can spiritually. And I think of, when I think of this scripture, in the last couple years, because, you know, how many of you like the crocodile hunter, right? The Australian guy with a funny accent, right? Who just uh, was just, he caught a poisonous brown snake when he was like six years old. You know, that's how he started off. He was like, no fear. But he seemed to take enough precautions. But the irony is that he was swimming over a special kind of fish that some of you have, I've seen them in the aquariums over in a Monterey area. But uh, it's interesting he was uh, swimming over a sea creature, and cameraman Justin Lyons, who is described as like one of his best friends for 15 years, his right-hand man, his best mate, and so forth, says all of a sudden, it popped on its, uh, on its front and started stabbing wildly. So there's tiger sharks that will hunt these like manta rays and these different types of rays, and they'll, they'll, they'll swim over them, and they'll see their shadows, and these things will stab. Well, they weren't getting close enough to one of these types of creatures, and Irwin decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to swim for this angle, get, get me on camera being over this thing. And it's interesting because uh, he was, it was devastating when you think about what had happened. Uh, all of a sudden, he, uh, Lion says, quote, his good friend, all of a sudden it propped on its front and started stabbing wildly with its tail. Hundreds of strikes in a few seconds. The singular, the, the stingray's barb went through his chest like a hot knife through butter. And the rest is history. He died. And this is the guy who was incredibly careful. Yeah, you, when you look at him, he seems wild, but he was very, he thought everything out pretty wisely. But he was like, hey, I get close to this thing. I mean, I, he's been close to a lot of different creatures like crocodiles, right? And this thing's not going to hurt me. And before he knew it, you know, he didn't guard his heart. And as believers, you can think that you are invincible. 
because you've had a number of victories, because you've been walking with the Lord for so long that you're impervious to destruction. Yet Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed, what? Lest he fall. So we need to always be guarding our hearts spiritually, making sure we don't allow the enemy in. Amen. We're supposed to put on the full armor of what? The whole what? Armor of God that we may be able to stand in the evil day. Because you might say, man, I've been doing great. But guess what? There's an evil day coming. There's other evil days that have happened in our lives. If you have some age to you, right? Which I do. I've had some evil days that have come. And I can't think, wow, Lord, I went through some radical trials in my life. And I have been through some, a, a few really, really radical trials. And I can say, oh, Lord, you're dumb. Give me radical trials. I can't say that. <laughs> the most radical trials could still be to come because when he takes Jeremiah through trials and Jeremiah wants to quit, he says, you, if you can't run with the foot soldiers, what are you doing with the chariots? Come in the thickest of the Jordan. When it gets really tough in the Jordan, where the lions are, in the chariots are, what are you going to do then, Jeremiah? Meaning a lot of the trials we go through prepare us for greater trials. And I'm not saying, Lord, I want greater trials. I want the Lord's will. That's what I want. I mean, I do pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, right? And I pray, Lord, be gentle, right? But I also pray, Lord, I know that you're good and you're perfectly good. Whatever your will is, there's no trial, prosmos. There's no temptation. Prosmos also means trial. That's take you. That's not common to man, but God with the prosmos, trial slash temptation, because every trial has a temptation to it. And every temptation is a trial. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a temptation. With the prosmos, God also will give you, because he's faithful, he's good. He'll give you a way of escape, an ekbasis, that you may be able to endure it. Amen? A way of escape. And that escape is Jesus in his word. Amen? Amen. So guard your hearts. Number four, don't commit sexual sin. Proverbs chapter 6. Go to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32. Oh, did I write down the wrong scripture? The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. If you could look up that reference for me, that would be great. Just type in, commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. And the reference will come up, but I don't have time to get out my phone. Okay. Six what? 632. Oh, it is 632. Did you say 632? Yeah, I said 632. And, oh, believe it or not, I was actually right. I just probably read the wrong verse. The one, I was looking down at the verse. I'm like, that doesn't say that, but it does. I do not have the Jehovah's Witness translation, folks. Okay. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Because I, wrote, wrote I read it off my paper, but I also looked at the Bible, and it didn't seem to match, but it does. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. That's heavy. Now, that's a person who is not guarding their heart. Amen. They're not caring for uh, their own walk with God, their own eternity, their own relationship with God. They're not caring for the other person because if they cared for the other person, they wouldn't be committing adultery with the other person. Oh, I love you, baby. You don't love her. Oh, I love you, honey. You don't love him. Not if you're in adultery because the Bible says, be not deceived, right? Fornicators, adulterers, these folks of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you're leading someone to hell. And you can lie to them and yourself as much as you want, but really it's all about you and getting your jollies. And that's wicked. And if you're being enticed like that right now and open up your heart to someone, you need to repent and do an about face right now. Amen? And this is important because when we teach our children, we need to teach them about the ramifications, the consequences of sexual sin. The Bible says in chapter 13, verse 4 of the book of Hebrews, that adulterers and fornicators God will judge. It says the marriage bed is undefiled. 
The marriage bed, it's undefiled. But adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. So sex is fine in a monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. It's great. It's even blessed by God. It brings forth life, procreation. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But outside the marriage bed, outside the confines of marriage, it's incredibly destructive. In fact, look at uh, syphilis and gonorrhea and, and AIDS and all these different, you know, there's new diseases they didn't even have on the radar that they've discovered because of sexual sin. Tens of millions of people have been killed through the years, probably hundreds of millions through the years because of sexual sin. Incredible consequences. And if it doesn't riddle someone's body with disease or kill them through, say, AIDS or what have you, or syphilis, which can kill you as well, and certain sexually transmitted diseases can kill you, uh, it destroys relationships. It kills families. It, it kills relationships between husbands and wives. It kills relationships between parents and kids. It's so destructive. And count the cost, you know. Don't even move in those areas. And I encourage you to, to be warned. Because I love the way he writes it here. The one who commits adultery is a, uh, with a woman is lacking sense. They don't have wisdom, knowledge from God. They don't have skill for living right. He who would destroy himself does it. And what's interesting is you could go through like Proverbs 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, and the majority of the verses in those chapters deal with sexual sin and its destructiveness. And I, th I thought, I'm definitely bringing up sexual sin because that's something that the book of Proverbs focuses a lot on and about the seriousness of it. It talks about a man who's led astray by a woman and sexual sin is like a, a, an ox being led to the slaughter into Sheol, you know? Serious, serious stuff, guys. Amen? And, you know, uh, so as Christians, we're not prude like, oh, well, yeah, sex is bad. No, our God created sex. The God of this world, Satan is the one that's twisting into something very ugly and perverse. The world doesn't understand sex. They're blinded to it. They don't even understand sexual orientation. They make it up as they go, okay? But I, I like to use the example of a fireplace. You know, that's what I taught the, my kids growing up. That's what I taught the fellowship growing up. You, you, fire in a fireplace, very beautiful. Warm, beautiful, romantic. Gives, you know, it's precious. Man, but that fire, you start saying, oh, you know what? I want to put some fire on the couch. It's so nice in the fireplace. I wonder what it's like on the couch. Oh, I'm going to add a little bit to the chair. Oh, and the bedroom, and the master bedroom. And before you know it, your house is an inferno, and you're dead, and everybody in the house is dead, and that's, that wasn't very wise. But the Bible compares fire, sexual sin, to bringing fire into your bosom. It's what it does. If I had time to go into the verses, it talks, it talks about in the book of Proverbs. You know, who brings fire to the bosom and doesn't get burned? In other words, you're going to get burned with sexual sin. Why destroy yourself? Amen? Amen. Number five. Walk in love. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Proverbs 10, verse 12. I love this. Hatred stirs up strife, but love what? Covers all transgressions. As Christians, we've been forgiven by the Lord, right? We need to be merciful and forgiving toward other people. Amen? To forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. And not stir up strife. Not be troublemakers, busy, you know, idle. But what does it say? But love what? Covers up all transgressions. I love that. Love covers up all transgressions. You know who got in big trouble with God? Remember Shem, Ham, and Japheth? Which one of those guys got busted? Ham. Ham. Because Ham was being a? Ham. Ham, right? And what happened? His dad was in the tent naked and 
he drank and he blew it and it caused pro huge problems. You know, planted the vineyard, had too much to drink. And what did Ham do? He said, check out dad. Look, guys. But Shem and Japheth would have none of, none of it, would they? They turned around and walked backwards so they wouldn't see his nakedness. And they did what? They covered him up. Amen? They covered him up. Love covers a multitude of sins. Right? The Bible says in, the, in, in uh, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, this is a commandment to all of us, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. A lot of what you read in the New Testament is allusions or quotations from the Old Testament. And I love it. And you know what? It doesn't just say, it's not just a principle you're to follow. Okay, I'm supposed to make sure. Now, what if someone continues in sin and they continue to rebel against God? The Bible says, you know, to if they continue in sin, you know, confront them. If they don't repent, bring one or two with you. If they don't repent, then bring it for the church. Why? Because sin destroys souls. Amen. The Lord wants to bring people to repentance. But you notice he doesn't say, oh, you, if someone's fallen in sin, go and write an email and say, hey, pray for so-and-so, man. I just saw him in front of a bar. Well, that, that person may have called me and said, hey, Joe, I'm going to go in and witness this guy. Pray for me. He may not have. I don't know. Right? But you don't know. And if a brother is getting drunk at a bar, right, you should lovingly confront that brother. He's going to come to this fellowship for sure. Right? Or club or whatever. They're getting drunk. And then if they don't repent and you confront them, then bring one or two with you. Because you know drunkards won't inherit God's kingdom and you love that person. Then if he still doesn't repent, then bring it before the fellowship. You know, then bring it to us and the leaders will deal with it and, and say, hey, now you know, it's because the idea is that they would what? It says that you can win your brother. We, we just love people. So before you get to love covers multiple sins, it says what? Keep all, uh, above all, keep fervent in your love for another. In other words, you need to make sure that you're, you have a heart of love for others. You're saying, God, help me to love more. Help me to love my brothers and sisters more. That should be a prayer that we're always praying. Whenever we pray according to his will, we what? Have it. So I love that because I, I want to love God my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I pray that all the time. I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. So I pray that all the time. I want to love my neighbors myself. So I pray that all the time. I want to love my enemies because Jesus said, if you want to be like the most high God, you know, love your enemies because he loves his enemies. So I pray, help me love my enemies. I want to love my brothers and sisters fervently. So I pray, Lord, help me love my brothers and sisters fervently. And he gives me a love to where I want to pray for them. I want to encourage them. I want to love them. And we don't want to be stale. And guess what? So if I get wind that somebody's going through something, because I already love them, because I'm rooted and grounded in the Lord's love, my first inclination is like, well, how could I, how could I toast that person, man? Make them look bad before others. No, my inclination is to pray for them, to grieve for them, and hope the best for them. And that's how the Lord wants us all, so we all take care of one another. Amen? Okay? We get together. Why do we get together? Do we get together, just sit down and hear the word a little bit, and then leave? No, we get together to be discipled to grow together, amen, to encourage one another in Christ as we come, not just to hear a message either, right, but also to encourage one another in the faith, amen, to be a blessing, and I, but also you have to make sure that the Bible calls us, if you see a brother who's fallen, to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, and by doing this, you'll fulfill the law of Christ, and Paul says the law of Christ in ch the, next, the chapter just before that is love, and in Philippians 4, or Romans 14, he says the same thing. Love works no ill toward its neighbor. Amen? So we want to make sure we have a deep love for one another. And the only way we can have a deep love for one another is if we're rooted, as Paul prayed, and grounded in love, and that we're seeking the Lord's face and drawing from his spirit because the fruit of the spirit is love. Jude, verse 21, says, keep yourselves in the love of God. 
You want to stay under the fount where the blessings of God's love pour out. You want to stay with, keep yourself in the love of God. Continue to seek his face. Amen? Very, very important. So I love that verse. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Number six, don't trust in money or wealth. Don't trust in money or wealth. Proverbs 11.4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Do not trust in money. Don't trust in riches. Because <laughs> the psalmist said that riches grow wings and fly away. They do. Here today, gone tomorrow. You can't trust riches. In fact, James, James 5.3 warns, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. So I want to make sure we're not storing up treasure for the last days. Like, man, money's going to get through at me, through it, man. If I have enough gold to barter with, man, then I'll get through the end times. No, you need to trust Jesus, man, because he promised one of the churches to those who overcome, he will give the hidden manna. Just like he gave the Israelites in their wilderness journey the manna from heaven. I'm, I'm trusting him for the hidden manna. Wait, Joe, you're saying we're not to store up anything at all for the end times? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't put your trust in those things. Because, I mean, you can look at Joseph, amen. He stored some things up for the time of famine, amen. Look at the why, look at the ant, book of Proverbs, right? He prepares for the winter. There's some wisdom in doing that to a degree, you know. I'll say to my wife sometimes, hey, grab some extra cans here and there, you know. It's not going to last us very long, especially since we're going to be sharing it with all of our brothers and sisters in my last two days, right? Or whoever's got what, right? Because I'm not going to miserly say, well, I saved up, but you didn't. No. Joe, guy, what did you do? Now, that'd be more of a spanking. I think give me a little bit of time, right? To get right. But I'll tell you what, you want to make sure you don't put your trust in those things, though, amen? Okay, you're wise to use some wisdom and say, hey, things are getting pretty ugly out here, you know? Remember everybody getting all the toilet paper when COVID hit? Like, where is the toilet paper, man? And when you have trees with itchy leaves, no, I'm just kidding. We'd have to resort to that. But my wife's like, it's hard to get toilet paper these days. Everybody's grabbing the toilet paper, you know? Well, guess what, guys? With the supply chain going down and there's going to be more things coming down the pike, we know biblically, you have to seek first the Lord. This world's not going to be able to give you enough material means, especially if the mark of the beast comes out in our day and time, right? And who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we're keeping our eye on this whole thing with the uh, vaccination, right? There's a lot of hairy things with that. And... Uh, with, you know, the studies that have been coming out that are, you know, we've been warning, you know, we encourage people. We don't say, you know, we're not saying, oh, if you've taken the vaccination, you're condemned to hell and you have the mark of the beast. That's unbiblical. And those who are saying that are going to stand before God for condemning people who weren't condemned. However, we need to be aware that there's important decisions to make. Amen? I mean, we know that all three of these, uh, the, the main vaccinations, they've all been tested on, on babies. I even hate the word fetuses. It's babies, guys, okay, dead babies. All three of these vaccinations. And you could say, well, they were tested, but they weren't created from these things. They already existed, then they were tested. We have to bring that before the Lord, okay, and have a good conscience because, you know what? There's some disturbing things, I think, about these, about these vaccinations, you know? And um, I'm not saying everybody has to do exactly what I've done, okay? And I've said, hey, 
we need to look into this from the very get-go. And everybody needs to be prayed up. I know there's a number of you. And I've said it. I've seen people die that I know, like Paul Hatley, you know. And he wasn't vaccinated. And he was in pretty good health. And he was, like, younger than me. And he died, right? I'm glad I didn't say to him, if you take the vaccination, you've got the mark of the beast, Paul. And then he didn't take it and died. His blood would be on my head, okay? However, at the same time, we need to be aware. And I've been warning. I asked Chad, how many times have we spoken, including our podcast, on on the vaccinations and the seriousness of it and all that stuff. And I think, Chad, you said, what, about a dozen or so times? About a dozen times, you know? So we've warned over and over again. And I'd encourage you not only to hear a message I did a couple weeks back on the Great Reset, but I did, we did a podcast on that in, again. Uh, we uh, redid or updated our podcast on the Great Reset. And we show very, very powerful people involved, like Bill Gates, who wants to roll out a new vaccination that has greater durability, right? And he's been working. I've been pointing this out now for a year and a half or however long it's been with Rice University and with MIT uh, to get this quantum dot deal going to where, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> they could just read, read it, read your tattoo, where you're at with your vaccination and stuff. And that concerns me, guys, okay? So if you're just like, just stick your head in the sand and say, oh yeah, well, the government says take the vaccination, I'm just gonna do it. And you're not looking at it and researching it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're going down this, this trail where you've got this momentum built where it just all looks good and you're, not, and you're, checking, not checking, and you're checking your mind, you know, not, your brain's at the door and sticking your head in the sand. You gotta see where this thing is going. Because now, I mean, I just read a study. I have to look at it more, but I've looked at it a couple times now. Well, I think it's between 10 and 14-year-olds. After they've been vaccinated twice, they have 52 times greater chance of dying than, than kids that haven't been vaccinated at that age. I see a lot of your heads bobbing up and down. You've read the same studies, okay? Now, I'm not here to go back and forth because there's some things you, people cite and say, well, what about this? This can help if you're older and so forth. I'm just saying I warn on the other side more because I'm concerned that I want more, uh, 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 I don't say thou shalt not, or you got the mark of the beast, no. But I do say you need to look into it, amen? And you need to make sure that you're not grieving the Holy Spirit and that you're pleasing God in every decision that you make. And if you've taken the vaccination, I'm not saying don't leave here and say, Joe said I have the mark of the beast, I'm in rebellion to God because I took it. I'm not saying that either, amen? I'm just saying we need to make sure we have a clear conscience before God. That's what I'm saying. I love all you guys. And I know it's been a very, very difficult thing because we're not, lab, we're not with the guys with lab coats on, right? And there is a lot of bias confirmation because I've met people where they'll say every bad thing that's been said and just say, oh, that's it. And then they'll find an egg on their face because some things are disproven. I don't want to be that guy. Amen? Or they'll say every good thing. Oh, look, MSNBC and CNN said it's great. Of course they did because they're part of the Big Brother system and they want you to think everything's great that gets rolled out of Washington. They're part of the problem. So you want to test everything, Amen? This was not a COVID message. I don't know why I go off on this sometimes, but some things are on my heart. So don't trust in money though, guys. And I, that's why I'm there because things can get a lot worse. When you look at the first riders of the apocalypse that, that when the seals are broken in Revelation chapter six, right, you have the white horse rider, you know, and I believe that's a picture of the Antichrist going forth to conquer and conquering. And then in his wake, you know, you have war. And what happens with war? You have famine and, and you have disease. Those are the horses. That's what follows. When you see war, you see famine and you see disease. And we haven't seen anything yet. The chariots are coming to fix the Jordan. We need to learn to trust the Lord now for the hidden manna. Amen? Now, don't trust in riches, though. Ezekiel 7, 19. They will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will seem unclean. 
Their silver and gold cannot save them in the day of wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their appetites or fill their stomachs and, uh, with wealth, for it became a stumbling block and brought their iniquity. Zephaniah 1.18 Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy. For indeed, he will make a sudden end of all who dwell on the earth. You can't take it with you, so don't trust in it. Okay? Not saying you can't have some things to help you through hard times. There could be hard times that aren't the tribulation coming up too. So don't come to me and say, Joe, you know, my husband had all this beans and rice and he just threw it away because of that message you gave. I didn't say throw it away. I said, don't trust in it. Trust in Jesus. Amen. He might have given it to my wife and I might, she might have said, thank you. You know, here, you can have some, you know, I'm not against it. I'm just saying. This is, listen to this, Proverbs 10 to ill-gotten treasures profit nothing, but righteousness brings deliverance from death. The righteousness of Christ, amen. Trust in Jesus, trust in him, amen. I love it, man. During the 42 months that Elijah, uh, was, there was no water, there was no, I mean, it was just no rain. A picture of the 40-month tribulation, Elijah, a picture of the end. God fed him with ravens, amen. God multiplied the oil, amen. The woman in the wilderness, Revelation 12, God nourishes her. He takes care of her. He feeds her. That's my point. Trust the Lord. Amen. Number seven, don't trust. Don't trust in outward beauty. Proverbs eleven twenty two. A ring of gold in a swine's snout. A, a, as a ring of gold is in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Today, people are worshiping beauty. Hollywood and, and uh, you know, the music industry. And you guys, you want to make sure we're not focused on the outward person more than the inward person, amen? I'm not saying don't comb your hair, you know? <laughs> don't brush your hair, you know? I'm not saying you can't wear makeup, things like that. We're not a legalistic church. But we do want to make sure we follow the biblical principles. And it says in 1 Peter 3, let that adorning, I've probably taught over 100 times on, that, on 1 Peter 3 because I use it so much in premarital counseling. And it says, let that adorning be that adorning of the inward person, the inner person of the heart, amen, which is precious in the sight of God, a quiet and meek spirit, okay? And we all need to make sure we're focusing on that inner person and our inner spirituality and who we are in Christ, amen? Because he looks at the heart. The Bible says God doesn't look at the outward what? Appearance. He looks at our hearts, amen? So make sure, I want to encourage you, May the Lord help us make sure we're looking more at the mirror of the word at our souls than the physical mirror at our faces or our bodies, you know. And the Bible says physical discipline is, is good for, you know, a little. So you spend time at the gym, that's great. It's good for a little. But spiritual exercise is good for what? Much, not only in this world, but the world to come, amen? Brothers and sisters, keep your priorities straight. Where are you at tonight? You're at God's gym, Amen? One of the many books I'm, I've been working on for years is called God's Gym. You know, hopefully somebody will finish a bunch of my books when I die. Because <laughs> I can't seem to finish any of them. But uh, we're in God's gym, man. And praise God, here you are today, right? Here we are. And it's a good thing, you know? It's a shame if people could go to a physical gym several times a week, but they can't go to a spiritual gym. Because it's not just about ourselves. It's about building other people up. Go to the physical gym, you spot for people, you help other people, you encourage them. Well, that's okay. That's, that's good too. A little bit, it says in the Bible, but 
Spiritual exercise is good for much, not only this world, but the world to come. Please get your priorities right and put Jesus first. Amen? Number eight, do not be the companion of fools. Who are you hanging out with? Be careful. Who are you making your friends? Who would you count as your dearest friends that are closest to you? Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who are the fools? In the book of Proverbs, they're those who disobey God's word, who don't submit to God's leadership, the incorrigible. Watch who you hang with. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Because you're going to become like that in time. Proverbs, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 15, 33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. Ecclesiastes 9.18 says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But, I love that, wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. One sinner. You can watch kids work really hard for half a day on its beautiful, elaborate sandcastle. All it takes is one jerk to come by and just start kicking that thing down. It only takes seconds. And all the good that you build up in your children can be destroyed almost overnight by you putting your guard down and letting them run with wicked people, and all of a sudden, before you know it, at a sleepover, they can get involved in all kinds of wickedness because you didn't know who that other kid was. You have to be really, really careful. I'm not saying being paranoid, but being wise, being diligent, being having your eyes open, being sober, being vigilant. For your adversary, the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith. Proverbs two twenty says, "So you will follow in the ways of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous." So we keep to the paths of the righteous. Proverbs fifteen thirty one. He who listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. So I want to encourage you, young people. There's some young people here right now. Make wise decisions with your life. Don't just make friends with the person that's most popular. Say, Lord, who do you want me to get close to? And the Bible says not to seek out foolish lust, you know, but cry out with those who love the Lord. You know, those who are seeking the Lord and seeking righteousness in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Number nine, learning how to talk. Too many professing Christians don't know how to talk. They talk like babies, baby talk. They may be Christians for five or 10 or 15 years, but they're still babies. The Bible warns that you can be a professing believer for years, but you're still on milk and you're still a baby. You need meat. Need meat. And babies, it's okay for babies, you know. Sometimes babies struggle a long time, the one, two, three, before they start talking. But as Christians, we ought to be talking, and we ought not be using evil language, bad language, using destructive words, cuss words. We ought to, be, we ought to grow up spiritually, amen? And not think, well, how could I be cool? How could I impress others? How could I have an edge? No, how can I please you, O oh God? Amen? We don't use terms like GD and Jesus Christ in a bad way. Amen? In fact, when people do it in a bad way, we can say, he's Lord, or something like that. Amen? And we don't call people names and use the gutter language, hurtful language. The Bible says not to let any destructive words come out of your mouth, but only words for edification that build people up. And we need to learn how to talk. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer, I love this, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, 
but the mouth of fools spouts folly. This is a great verse, chapter 15. I read verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 is, they're both great. But verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. That, that's beautiful. That'll go a long way in your relationships with your spouse. Sometimes one of the spouses is hot. Maybe they're having a really tough day. And then your response is just as harsh back or even harsher. Return to evil for evil. Don't do that. That just makes things uglier. Amen? If they're off, you should be concerned about them and care for them and lovingly talk back to them. Not like you're better than them or anything else because you could be doing the same thing at some date. You need them to love you. But a soft answer turns away wrath. And that would be like, Lord, oh, you know, my spouse is struggling right now. Maybe they're sensitive for whatever reasons or they're going through something or they're just tired and they woke up on the wrong side of the bed and, and they're saying things without thinking about it or not prayerful or whatever. You be an example and give them a soft answer and it'll turn away wrath. But if you bring ugly answers, it'll bring forth <laughs> more wrath and ugliness and could eventually allow the enemy to get a foothold in your marriage and destroy it. So we need, to use, we need to learn how to talk like adults, amen? I love Ephesians 4. I use this a lot when I do marital counseling. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. So we don't hide the truth. How do I look today, honey? Doesn't this dress look great on me? That one I think looks better. I mean, how do you get around some of those things, right? You know? Uh, you know, I don't know sometimes. It's hard, but it doesn't mean like you say... It's ripped in the back. You say, oh, it looks great. It's a brand new dress, you know, this big old tear. Oh, you look wonderful. It's going to hurt her heart if I tell her it's ripped in the back. No, you got to speak the truth in love. Amen? It's not always easy, but you do it in love. Amen? And I love the second part of that verse that we just read. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. You find ways to say truth. My wife got a reputation really quick because my wife is one of the finniest, uh, most finicky eaters you've ever met. She isolates herself just to one part of a menu and she's habitual for the most part. And my kids make fun of her. They said, you know, all your drugs in the past ruined your taste buds, mom, because we all like certain things. And she, but she loves certain foods, you know. And, uh, but you know what? She's very discretion. So we'd go over people's houses when we were newly you know, married for a while and then when I was pastoring for years and it was like a known thing. And if my wife, you ask my wife how, your how she liked the food, did anybody remember, remember that? What, what was this? Oh, like, of course, y'all said it's interesting. <laughs> That's my wife saying, because I love my wife, man, for so many reasons. But one reason is she's just so truthful, you know? And she'd say, it's interesting. They come to me. Oh, how do you like it, Joe? I could say what she said and put it back on her. <laughs> no, but you know what? You usually find something really good. And I, I love my... My taste buds are all firing usually, okay? So I like every kind of food and everything. But I, I, I told her, hey, baby, you can find something good on the plate that you like. Just say, the peas are really good or something you find, you know. So, but she speaks the truth, and she's trying to be loving. You guys don't know Lisa. She has a great heart. She's not like, how can I jab them that they need to learn to cook? That's not her heart at all. She's just saying, she speaks the truth in love, and it's interesting. But we can't lie to each other, guys. Someone's going off the wrong path. I love my wife because someone's going off the wrong path. She's not going to pat them on the back. I've seen my wife through the years call a number of people to repentance. And it's been a blessing to my heart. It's helped a lot of people. A lot of people are walking with God because she's called them out in a loving way. That's great, you know. 
Uh, so it's important, though, because if we love people, we are going to speak out. The Bible says, you know, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend, the book of Proverbs. True friends are faithful to speak the truth into your lives, amen? And help with your cooking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm talking more on a moral level, you know. And uh, praise God, you know. He is good, but faithful wounds a friend, deceit for the kiss of an enemy. Uh, we don't want to be like a Judas, amen? We want to speak the truth and love to people in a loving way, in a caring way that is concerned about them understanding what we're saying in our heart and also trying to help them and not with any false agenda or way of trying to hurt someone. You know, we want to make sure there's no evil way in us, amen? So it's important that we do this and that we check out our words because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said every idle word will be judged by God on judgment day. Every idle word, guys. We're standing for God to give it a count for every idle word. That's why I love these scriptures. Psalm 141.3, and I pray this prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we should be praying, Lord, that's my prayer. I pray that off and on. Lord, please, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Amen. It's a great prayer. Uh, number 10, be humble, not proud. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit before stumbling. Many Proverbs talk about the, that humility comes before honor, right? But Proverbs tells us that pride goes before destruction. What's the root of all sin? People say, oh, it's a love of money. No, that's... Well, it says it's the love of money. No, that, that scripture there in 1 Timothy 6 says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root of all evil. There was no money in heaven when Satan fell. It wasn't like Satan robbed a bank in heaven. But he fell because he said, I will be like the most high God. Amen. It was pride. What's the middle letter of pride? I. What's the middle letter of sin? I. Amen. We can't make it about us. It's got to be about the Lord. To you be the glory, Lord. Amen? Pride will destroy you. Pride will destroy you. And we need to make sure we uh, recognize He is God, we are not, and we're not even close. Okay? We're made in His image. We deserve His wrath. It's by His grace that we're saved. Amen? It's by His grace that we take a breath in each day because He saved us through the precious blood of His Son. Sometimes we think we've got to be really careful. We're really nothing. I try to always remember that I got saved. I try to remember what I deserved. And when I got saved, how lost I was. I try to remember my first love. And that I deserve God's wrath. And Paul, when he tells us to be good, to, to, to kind to everyone, he says, because God showed his kindness to everyone. And it talks about that in, the, about it in regard to the cross there in Titus chapter 3. The, the kindness of God. Right after he says, the grace of God that brings salvation appears to all mankind. He tells us to remember that we were once wicked like them. People were in the world. Don't get hard hearts. We used to be like that. It's by the grace of God that we exist and live and go. Amen? It's important to remember that when we see the lost and not think that we're holier than thou. It's important to remember that, guys. So we have a love for the lost and love our enemies. Amen? That's critical. And not think that we're greater than we are. I love the scripture where it says, what do you have that you have not received? Anything I have good going for me and you have good going for you is all from the Lord, amen? And he's not partial. It's critical that we keep that in mind. 
There's a story told about Muhammad Ali where he was standing up in the plane and the store just kindly asked him, hey, sir, can you please uh, sit down? And he refused. And she said, sir, I'm sorry, I've got to ask you to sit down. He goes, do you know who I am? I'm Muhammad Ali, you know? Muhammad Ali don't need a seatbelt. And she said, well, Muhammad Ali don't need a... Or, he, oh, he said Superman, that's what it was. Superman don't need a seatbelt. She said, well, Superman doesn't need a plane either, you know? So, and we, we, we think we're something, and we're nothing. Don't exalt yourself as higher than others. Love one another, amen? Be humble and not proud. Number 11, don't get drunk. And man, I've got five minutes left, so these ones are going to go quick. Uh, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Did you catch that? Wine is a mocker. In fact, that's what, the, that's what the fool is, a mocker. In other words, saying that filling yourself up with wine will make you a fool. Strong drink is a brawler. I know that, man. I got in a lot of my brawls when I was drunk before I was a Christian. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. In Proverbs 23, 21, it says drunkenness causes poverty. Uh, Proverbs 23, 29, it causes woe, sorrow, fighting, babbling, wounds without cause, and red eyes. It says you'll see strange things. You can even hallucinate, which I hallucinated on other drugs, but I also hallucinated on alcohol on at least two different occasions. In fact, I have a whole list in a file that I have on alcohol and drunkenness that I've kept several files on this, on this problem for years. And one of them is how many crimes, so many crimes are committed while people are drunk. You'd be amazed at what types of crimes are committed when people are drunk. The majority of crimes are committed when people are inebriated, alcohol or something else, but usually it's alcohol. The Bible says, don't be drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number 12, make a good name. Make sure you make a good name. Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is more, to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Why is it better than great wealth? Because our wealth will disappear. But if you have a good name, it'll endure forever. Ecclesiastes 7.1, which Solomon also wrote, states a good name is better than a fine perfume. That's because perfume and perfume will wear off. But a good name endures forever. In fact, Jesus said if we confess his name, amen, before men, he'll confess our name before who? The Father and before the holy angels we read in uh, Revelation chapter 3. Number 13, sharpen up. I've only got 15, so just got three more counts. Sharpen up. Sharpen up. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another, okay? We need to sharpen each other. And I don't have time to get into these last few because I've covered a lot of ground here. But just, let's just say this. When you get together with other believers, you get sharper. You sharpen each other. If you're doing what the scriptures say. And we're called in Chapter 3, verse 13 of the book of Hebrews. And chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 of the book of Hebrews. Not to forsake these seven of ourselves together, but to get together all the words that we see the day of Christ approaching and encourage one another daily. And both those passages, I've pointed out this a number of times for years and years and years, both those passages are placed in the context so you will not what? Fall away. We need to encourage each other. Amen? How many know people that fell away? And first, they just got out of fellowship. And then before you know it, they just weren't in fellowship with it. And now they're nowhere to be seen. That's so heartbreaking. Make sure you're in fellowship. And you guys, when you come to church, don't say, hey, I'm going to hear the word and sing some songs. Pray before you come to church. Say, Lord, help me to be an encouragement to others. 
Help me not to just stay in a little holy bubble in some kind of clique, but help me to love the people I know, of course, but you know, help me go beyond the two or three people I talk to after service or between service or whatever. Help me go to people and say, hey, Lord, how can I reach out and encourage a person I've never seen here before? How can I reach out to someone I have never seen or I've never really talked to before? I want to challenge you, encourage you to sharpen each other. Amen? Let's spread our wings more and let's minister more to one another. Amen? Are you with me? Number 14, stay under the blood. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. If you hide your sins and you just don't repent, you don't confess them, you won't prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Brothers and sisters, man, the Bible says, confess your sins to the Lord. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. Amen. And 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Make sure you're not hiding the life of rebellion. Remember Achan who hid his sin? What happened to Achan? He was aching. Amen. Amen, Rich. He was aching big time. So it's important that we, uh, you know, we don't, <laughs> we don't hide our sin. That we, we deal with it. The Bible says in Numbers 20, 32, 23, the Lord says through Moses, be sure your sin will find you out. Sin will find us out. And it could be anything. It could be, you know, it could be living for money, we've talked about. It could be being proud. It could be about riches and, and you're putting your hope in riches, which reminds me of the story where the rich man was getting closer to death and he said, you know what? He asked his butler, hey, I want you to put my, my big bag of gold up in the, up in the uh, attic. So when I die and my spirit goes past them on the way to heaven, I could grab it. The butler said, okay. And he, sure enough, he did it. Three days later, the rich man dies. This rich, wicked man dies. And he goes up there to see if he snagged <laughs> the gold on his way to heaven. And sure enough, the bag of gold was still there. And the butler said, I knew it. I should have put it in the basement. So he'd get on his way down, you know. <laughs> Number 15. Last one, trust the Lord and his word. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And I'll just close by saying, because I want to get done by 845. It's 844. I want to get done for a good time. But I just want to close by saying in Joshua 1, 8, it says, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed or prosperous or radically, wonderfully happy and satisfied and flourishing in the Lord is what the word means, blessed there. Flourishing in the Lord is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor set foot in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and who prospers in all he does. Wow. That's a great way to end because we're talking about the beauty of God's word and all these wonderful promises and warnings from the book of Proverbs. We've covered so many of the gems. There's, it's full of gems. We just skipped around. Stay in God's word, amen? It's really encouraging to be in his word. And we meditate on his word day and night. Now, we're not under the law of Moses. Now, we're under the law of Christ, amen? But the Old Testament was also written down that we might learn, right? To have hope, it says, Romans 15 and 16, and also from the warning so we won't fall like they fell. 1 Corinthians 10 says that twice. So stay in his word, amen? 
and, and, and flourish in the Lord, prosper in Him. And that may not mean having gold here, like the word faith people teach, the false prosperity gospel, but what it will mean is that you'll be blessed no matter how you suffer here or how He blesses you here. Amen. You'll learn with Paul, I could do, I learned how to do, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Whether I was in poverty, he said, or whether I was in prosperity, Paul said, I know how to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because both of them are a test. And I want to encourage you to hold to Jesus and his word and these promises and warnings throughout all that you go through. This might be one of those messages you check out once in a while because we covered a whole lot of ground, didn't we? But one thing you need always to be checking out and meditating on is his word day and night. Amen. And in that, we'll be incredibly blessed. Great to see all you guys that came by way of live stream. Everybody that's here tonight, can we all please stand?